0: You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, Metro Region. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is Matt Weber and I bring you greetings, uh, from the Boston Church of Christ, where I serve as an evangelist of one of the regions uh, over there in Boston. And it's an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, I became a Christian actually right here in this very region of L.A. 20 years ago. And at that time, we weren't known as Metro, and I love saying it, but back then, we were known as the South Central region of the Los Angeles Church of Christ. So it's been a while. Uh, I haven't lived in L.A. since, you know, 20 years ago, and I, I went from L.A. To, to Georgia for college, and then I went into the ministry, and I was in Connecticut, and, and now I'm in Boston uh, with my wife and my, my beautiful children. And uh, this is a picture of them. Uh, right here, my wife, who's a, a women's ministry leader, as well as a speech therapist, and my two beautiful kids, uh, MJ and Jillian, who are four and three years old. Uh, so I, God has blessed me in a great way. And honestly, anytime that I come back in town, uh, anytime that I'm back in LA, it's always a pleasure and a joy to be with you, whether it's in person or virtual. Uh, this church and these people means so much to me. These are salt of the earth people and uh, I'm honestly thrilled that Robert and Michelle Creo are leading a church that I care so much about uh, they're a great fit but anyways let, let's get into what I want to talk about today and uh, what I want to talk about today is transformational prayer and uh, you might be you might have asked yourself at one point or another what is prayer what is prayer exactly? Is it an outlet, a fallback, a lifeline, a weapon? You know, you might have asked yourself at one point or another, are my prayers even effective? Do I, play lo- do I pray long enough? Do I pray often enough? Or how do I know if God even hears my prayers? You know, the worst, the worst thing is when someone comes up to you and asks you to pray for them. They come to you and say, hey, bro. Hey, sis, can you pray for me? And you say, absolutely, I will. And then you forget. And then the next time you see that brother or sister, they come up to you and they say, thanks so much for praying for me. And this is your face. (laughs) You're kind of like, oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I only say that because I've been there before. And I understand that when it comes to prayer, we're probably all over the spectrum. Some of us are probably great at prayer and we love prayer. and We feel so connected to the Lord when we pray. Others of us are probably lost, confused or, or frustrated. And let me be honest with you guys. Let me, be, let me be real with you about my own life. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people who goes through seasons with prayer. There are times where it's great and I'm getting all my security and all my strength from God. And then there's times where it's just straight out flat or 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 stagnant or tough you know the worst is when i when i get distracted <laughs> you ever been there before and i'm praying to god i'm like god thanks for opening up a door for my family to be in boston and wow there's that new restaurant down the street i wonder what that's look like hey honey i'm going to go to go to get some food you know and, and I, I totally forget that i'm praying and prayer can be a very confusing topic but one thing i've learned is that prayer works Prayer connects us to God. Prayer gives us faith and confidence and, and and love and so many other powerful, great qualities. Prayer gives us victory. You know, Abraham Lincoln, probably the greatest president that our country has ever seen. He He said, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of Excuse me, my own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. Again, this is a president that navigated our country through the most challenging time in its history. We're talking civil war. We're talking slavery. And what he's ultimately saying is he's saying, look, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough power. I don't have all the answers. I'm not enough without prayer. See, until you see prayer, until you see prayer for what it really is, you will be exhausted, overwhelmed, frustrated, and defeated. Prayer is, is powerful. Prayer is our most valuable weapon. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse three, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What he's saying is we don't fight the way the world fights our weapons are different than the world's the title of the message today is prayer weapons in disguise let's pray together heavenly father it is a it's an honor it's a joy to be with the metro region of the LA church a church that means so much to me God who I am today and so much of of everything about me is because of this very church and so God for that reason I pray God, I pray with all my heart that as I speak, your Holy Spirit inspires every word that comes out of my mouth, brother. And that as people listen to this sermon, they hear your voice and they see prayer for what it's supposed to be. Lord, thank you for answering this prayer in advance. I'm grateful in Christ's name. Amen. You know, once again, I'm not speaking from an area of strength. I'm speaking to you as a brother. Who's trying to grow in this area? You know, back home in Boston, there, there's a there's a man I'm very close to, a brother in the church I'm close to. His name's Charles Bradley. And anytime I call Charles on the phone, typically, you know, a normal conversation goes, Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Not with Charles. Anytime I call Charles, like, Charles, how you doing? He says, Well, I'm in the battle. See, Charles knows that we are in a battle. You know, back in the 80s. There was a comic book that came out. It was called Transformers. And what the Transformers were were they I'm going to sound like a total nerd for a minute but the Transformers were like these alien robots. And 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 they came from outer space and they came down to Earth and when they came to Earth they took the form of like cars and planes and stuff. And 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 and, and their their whole thing was they wanted to fight to defend Earth from other I don't know, aliens or forces or whatever. And, and their slogan was Transformers, robots in disguise. You know, and in the 2000s, Michael Bay, he produced these incredible movies with all these amazing effects. But here you see one of the, the, the Transformers, a car that that turns into a robot. And again, their slogan was robots in disguise. They were something so basic, but then they became so powerful and strong. And I pray that by the end of this sermon today, you see prayer for the weapon it is supposed to be. Something powerful and strong. You know, our text today comes from Exodus 17 in verse 8. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. We're going to read about when the, when the Israelites defeated the Amalekites at Rephidim. Exodus 17, starting in verse 8. The Bible reads, But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses's hands grew tired, they took a stone. They put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. We're going to stop here. Like I said, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And you're going to see exactly why. There's so much meat in this story. So a little backstory. The Israelites, God's people. They literally just got out of 430 years of slavery. And now they've just started what will be a 39 year journey to the promised land of Canaan. So, up until this point of the story, since, since, since leaving slavery in Egypt, Moses, who was their leader, he had already divided the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Uh, uh, they received manna from heaven in Exodus 16. And, and Moses made streams of water flow from the rock of Horeb earlier in chapter 17. So God was really looking out for his people. But here come the Amalekites. And all we know about the Amalekites is that there's some sort of nomadic tribe descended from Esau. They're known as plunderers. And they resided somewhere in the Negev, which is between Egypt and Canaan. And and, and, and the Amalekites, this is their first time seeing the Israelites. And what they see is they see a group of weary, worn down slaves. And they think to themselves, let's take everything that they have. Let's plunder these jokers. That's what the Amalekites are thinking. Moses tells Joshua, he says, choose some of our men and fight the Amalekites. Now, put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a second. You got to remember that the Israelites, these aren't necessarily trained soldiers. Okay, we, we don't even know what kind of weapons they have. When they left Egypt, yeah, they took some gold and some silver, but they never had to fight before. And so... This isn't the most promising scenario. Moses says, you fight. And I'm going to be up there on that hill. (laughs) Now, I I don't think Moses said you fight and I'm going to be up there because he was a chicken. You know, Moses knew that through that staff, God had done some powerful things. You know, back then a staff was a it was a it was a symbol. A staff was a symbol of power and strength. And you know what? Whenever Moses lifted that very staff, miracles happened. A little backstory, Exodus 4, verse 17. God says to Moses, take this staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. This is when God called Moses to deliver the people. You know, the whole, let my people go, go deliver the Egyptians. He said, take the staff. Verse 20, so Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hands. Let's keep going. Chapter seven, let's see what happens here. Here we have when, when when Moses is confronting Pharaoh to let the people go, and he's about to perform the what we call now the 10 plagues. God says, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand, what? The staff that was changed into a stake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord with the staff in your with the staff that is in my hand. I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed to blood. And guess what happened? Moses struck the Nile with that very staff and the Nile was turned into blood. Now, this was just the first of what we call the 10 plagues. But you better believe that with the other plagues, with many of them, that very staff was involved. Let's fast forward. Chapter 14, Exodus 14. The Lord said to Moses, now now, this is when, this is when they got out of slavery. They got out of slavery in Egypt and they're leaving And all of a sudden, they look in their rearview mirror and the Egyptians want to take them back into slavery. But when they look ahead, they're at the bank of the Red Sea. Not a good place you want to be in. Moses, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And guess what happened? Moses raised his staff and the waters parted. How about one more? Exodus 17, verse 3. So now the people, they, they've been, they, 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 they crossed the Red Sea and you would think they're in safety. Well, guess what? They're stuck in a desert. Not much water in the desert. Chapter 17, verse 3. But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children, our livestock, die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take your take and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you. Uh, by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. You know, these four, these these passages we just read involve Moses raising his staff and God doing some incredible things. But what's very interesting, what's very interesting about the, the, the four little stories we read versus our main text today, Is that in these four stories, it was always God who told Moses to raise his staff. But in our main text, when they're fighting the Amalekites, God didn't tell Moses to raise his staff. You want to know why? Because Moses knew. Moses already knew if I raise my staff to God, God's going to respond and do miracles. Now. I want to believe that it's not the staff that's like necessarily magical. It's who he raised his staff to. So, so don't go to Target or Walmart and buy yourself a cane, thinking like this is a powerful cane. Now, like, no, no, no. What happened was it's when he raised the staff towards God, the Israelites were winning. You know, there's a there's a, a, a some artwork. Uh, this, this this piece of artwork is called Victory. Oh, Lord. And it's by John Everett Milius. And, and, and you can see from this from this art. This is supposed to be Moses and Aaron and her on top of that hill. And, and you can see the fatigue. You can see the, the perseverance. You can see the strength of Moses in this in this in this in this art. And you can assume that because his hands are up and the staff is in his right hand. You can assume that there is victory On the battlefield. And I think the key, the key to this whole story, verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Again, God says to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. You know, what's interesting to know is that Joshua, Joshua is the one who would actually lead God's people into the promised land when it's all said and done. See, Moses died before they got there. So Joshua was going to be the one who got the job done. And this battle is so important because the Amalekites were the first nation to ever wage war against God's people. And God wanted his people to know right off the jump, He wanted them to know that they won this battle, not because of their strength, but because of him. God wanted them to learn a lesson early on that just like a staff, they need to get their power and their strength from him. God brings the victory. You know, I believe that Moses's staff and Moses going up there and raising his arms is a representation of prayer. Now, if you disagree with me on that, you might not get much out of this sermon today. I hate to tell you that. But I believe that Moses going up there with the staff and raising his hands represents prayer. Now, what's interesting to note is that Israel's success wasn't based on Joshua's fighting. Let that sink in for a second. Israel's success wasn't based on Joshua's fighting. Israel's success was based on Moses's prayer. See, the war wasn't even on the battlefield. The war was on the hilltop. Remember, battles are one praying, not fighting. The staff was Moses's sword and prayer was the weapon in disguise. Now, I'm not saying we don't have to fight. The Bible has something to say about faith and deeds. But where there's no prayer, brothers and sisters, there is no victory. Now, I'm going to say this, though. Prayer is hard. (laughs) Prayer is hard work. Can I say that? Prayer is hard work. And the more spiritual the work, the more apt we are to get tired. Now, remember, it was Moses's arms that grew tired. The Bible doesn't say that Joshua's arms grew tired. Now, Joshua's down there. He's the, actually the one with a physical sword fighting people, trying to defend his life. But the Bible never says that Joshua's arms got tired. The Bible clearly says that Moses's arms grew tired. The spiritual battle that we are in is hard work. Brothers and sisters, what am I talking about? Repentance, endurance, purity, love, forgiveness. Those are hard works. If you want to live a faithful life and endure, it takes hard work. What I love doing is I love when I come back in town and I see members of the church that were members of the church here 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Guess what? Those people, they're probably people of prayer. Prayer is hard work. And when Moses got tired and stopped praying, the people started losing. So what Moses did was he got some help from his buddies. He got some help from his friends. You know, that's what we got to do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You ever been there before? I want to remind you, we're in a battle. Never, ever stop praying for any reason, because transformation is right around The corner. So who was the enemy in this story we just read? It was the Amalekites. I want to ask you, what are your Amalekites? We all have our Amalekites. It's your battle against sexual sin or fear, insecurity, or doubt. It's your struggle to have financial peace. The Amalekites are, are the anxiety you have about your health during a pandemic. The Amalekites are the daily grind of school or work or singlehood or marriage or parenting. The Amalekites, it's, it's the impossibility of trying to work from home and remotely teach your kids, which still don't make a lick of sense to me. It's your desire to help others become Christians. Brothers and sisters, we all have Amalekites in our life, but the battle isn't won by simply working harder. The battle is won by praying. So if you're looking for three points in this message, I have three short points for you. Number one, we got to pray passionately. Hebrews 5 verse 7. During Christ's days on earth, he pleaded with God, praying with passion and with tearful agony that God would spare him from death. And because of his perfect devotion, His prayer was answered and he was delivered. Luke 22, verse 43. Jesus called for an angel of glory to strengthen him. And the angel appeared. He prayed even more passionately, like one being sacrificed, until he was in such intense agony of spirit that his sweat became drops of blood dripping onto the ground brothers and sisters listen to me let me tell you something when you pray pray let it all out don't hold back be real and honest with god don't be scared to show emotion pray like your life depends upon it i came across this image in, in I I just stared at it for a while. Someone wanting to write a prayer just as dear Lord. And then you could see what appears to be teardrops on the page. You know, the Bible says that it, it instructs us to cast all our anxieties on God. Why? Because he cares for us. Number two, pray persistently. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness says often would slip away to the wilderness and pray in seclusion. Luke 6, 12. During that time, Jesus went onto the mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night long. Luke 18, verse 7. And will not our just God defend and avenge his elect, his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in providing justice on their behalf? Praying persistently. You know, here's the litmus test. How much or little you pray will show how powerful and how how powerful you believe prayer is. Or how often you pray will show how effective you believe prayer really is. Guys, listen, there's a lot going on in the world. One prayer ain't going to cut it. We've got to pray persistently and never give up. And number three, pray purposefully. Mark 11 Verse 22 to 24, the Bible says Jesus told his disciples, have faith in God. If you have faith in God and don't doubt, you can tell this mountain to get up and jump into the sea and it will. Everything you ask for in prayer will be yours if only you have faith. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, pray like you're praying to the creator of the universe, yes, with reverence, but also with a sense of expectation that God can do anything, that God has no limits. You know, the size of your prayers shows your faith. You know, I read this book not too long ago called Pray Big for Your Marriage, not just Pray for Your Marriage, but Pray Big for Your Marriage. And you know, with everything going on in the world, the world needs, prayers from Christians. You know, I I love this quote. If God answered all of your prayers, would the world look different or just your life? You know, God is capable of saving a nation and humanity. He's done it before. And, you know, this quote right here, it it really influenced the way that I pray. And you want to know something? I'll be honest with you. I have so many other points. I was going to talk about praying privately, pray publicly, pray persuasively. I'd have enough time for it. But all I want to say is this. You better believe that when Moses was up there on that hilltop, he was up there passionately. He was up there persistently. He was up there purposefully. Brothers and sisters, it's all about prayer. Prayer is your weapon in disguise. I fear, though, that some of us are over here fighting spiritual battles with physical weapons. We have stuff like Internet blockers to help us with our struggle with, with, with Internet pornography. But we don't pray as much as we believe in those types of things. Or we're out here struggling with how to share our faith in a pandemic. But we haven't prayed as much as we stress over it. Or we listen to things like podcasts and read books on self-development, on on marriage and parenting. But the reality is we don't even go to the author of all those things. Now, I'm not against all that stuff. Those stuff, those things are awesome. But where there's no prayer, there is no victory. Yes, have those things. But we've also got to pray as much as we believe in those things, if not even more. Prayer is a weapon in disguise. But I do want to be honest with you. And say that even if you don't win all of your battles in your timing, keep on praying because God has something else in store that will bring him glory through you. So if you're struggling from spiritual fatigue, raise your staff in prayer. If you're battling with sin, raise your staff in prayer. If you're having a hard time at home, raise your staff in prayer. If work is tough, raise your staff in prayer. The finances are in question, raise your staff in prayer. If you're anxious about your health, raise your staff in prayer. If your schedule is crazy, raise your staff in prayer. If you're trying to pray but you keep on falling asleep, get up. Wake up, raise your staff in prayer. If your kids are all over the place, raise your staff in prayer. If you're experiencing victory in your life, raise your staff in prayer. And if you don't know where to start, grab your Aaron, grab your her and let them help you raise your staff in prayer. You're in the battle fighting the Amalekites. Prayer is your weapon in disguise. And so in conclusion, I want to bring us back to verse 15. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. You know, he knew that it was because of God. He knew that it was because of God and not the soldier or not the the Israelites down there. He knew that it was because of God that they had victory. And he made sure that God got the honor, the glory, and the praise. And when you have your victory, Go on back and give God his honor, glory, and praise. You know, it inspired the people. It inspired the people to have both Moses and Joshua. You know, Jesus Christ is our Moses and our Joshua. The commander of our salvation and the intercessor of our faith will never fail. You know, it was an up and down, it was an up and down battle at Rephidim. And despite Joshua having undisciplined, untrained, and ill-equipped men, guess what? God and his people won. You know, you may not have all the tools. You may not have all the resources. You may not have all the experience. But you know what you do have? Prayer. And God can win these battles. Psalm 20. Says, may the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call, you know. This, this whole theme of, of prayer being our weapon in disguise. It reminds me of a, a beautiful, powerful song by Fred Hammond called No Weapon. And I'm not going to sing it because that is not my gift. <laughs> you will all fall away on account of me if I sing. But what I will do is I will read some of the lyrics. It says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't work. God will do What he said he will do. He's not a man that he should lie. He will come through. Say God will do what he said he's going to do. Stand by his word. He will come through. Oh, I won't be afraid of the arrows by day from the hand of my enemy. I can stand my ground with the Lord on my side for the snares they have set will not succeed. No weapon formed against me shall prosper and it won't work so the victory brothers and sisters the victory is in god's hands prayer is your weapon in disguise guys i miss you please stay safe and continue to walk by faith and like i always love to say when i come back and preach here in the words of the prophet montel jordan south central does it like nobody does i love you guys take care see you again you've just listened to the metro la podcast For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.